It's hard to imagine having to run away, having to escape, and never getting to go back. As we talked about last week, we live in a time where there are more displaced from their home than any time in history. 65 million people, 30 million are children. More than the population of Texas have been displaced. I have a friend of mine who shared her story. In 1975, between 1975 and 1985, over a million Vietnamese fled their country. Tragically, only half survived. Rosanna and her family in April of 1975 knew that the communists were about to take over Saigon, so they packed everything that they could, this family of five, to escape. Her mom wasn't much of a church-going person, but during that season, she prayed more than she'd ever prayed before. Rosanna wrote me this week, and she wrote, my mom prayed a lot during this time, and amazingly, she was not afraid. Instead, she experienced God's love and provision for our family through some incredible circumstances, which included our journey to the States by boat and by plane without having to pay any money. For about one and a half months, we lived as refugees in the Philippines, Guam, and then Florida. By the end, we were given the choice to fly anywhere in the U.S., and my parents chose to go to Corpus Christi. <laughs> my aunt had found a Baptist church there that would sponsor us. When we arrived in Corpus Christi, this church was another extension of God's love and provision for us as they helped my family find housing, a vehicle, and clothing, and even jobs. I love her parents' first jobs in the States, so quintessentially Texan. Her mom worked at Luby's, and her dad worked at Whataburger. I first met Rosanna in Los Angeles at our church, Mosaic. And eventually she married John, who was also part of our church. And both of them, even before they met, had a sense that adoption might be in their future. Every time she heard the word orphan, something would stir in her heart. She even had a dream once. And they're now in Austin, they're now part of our church here at Gateway South. And I love that her story began as a refugee, and now her and her husband John have not only their own son, Gio, but they've adopted a son, from Ethiopia named Osh. See, God's story is redeeming lives and rescuing lives that we might go out and rescue others. We live at an unprecedented time in history where we can be a part of actually making the world a better place. It's hard to imagine what it must be like to go to a place where you have nothing and know no one. Maybe some of you have a story similar to Rosanna. Maybe even in your family, not too far back. I, I remember the first time I went overseas, I went to Brazil and I was 19 years old. And I didn't know Portuguese. And, uh, and so we had some folks there, not as, not as many of the locals knew English. And so there were just a few that could speak both Portuguese and English. And I remember one time I was gathered around with a bunch of other young adults and we were playing this game. It's called Qualusunome, which means what is her name? When you don't speak a lot in the other's language, there's very few games you can play. So they would point at different people and I would just guess their name. And I was trying to, you know, get to know them a little bit. And so they would point at someone, and they'd point and I'd say, Anna Paula. 
And they'd say, "C," si, and they'd point at someone else. Qual es su nombre? I'd say, Anna Cristina. And they'd say, "C." Si. I discovered a lot of them had Anna as their first name. And then they pointed at another young woman and they said, Qual es su nombre? And I pointed at her and I said, Della. And they said, Si, Qual es su nombre? And they pointed at her again. I said, Della. And they said, Si, Qual es su nombre? And they pointed at her again. And I said, Della. And we were getting upset at each other because they're asking me, what is her name? And I'm telling them, her name is Della. And someone who spoke both Portuguese and English came over and started laughing at me. He explained, every time they're asking you, what is her name? Your answer has been her? What is her name? Her, yes. What is her name? Her. As my own little who's on first moment. Now that was funny, maybe a bit frustrating to not know the language, but what if you don't know how to get a job, how to find transportation? What if you can't find someone to help translate? What if you could never go home? See, this is a moment for us to consider our place in bringing the story of Christmas, the true story of Christmas to the world around us. We described it last week, but the word refugee is defined as someone who is displaced from their rightful home due to evil. And when you look at this Christmas story, in truth, the story is of the Son of God who was displaced from his home in heaven to live among us because of evil. The Christmas story is God coming to be with us, being displaced, suffering along with us, and even suffering for us so that every willing human being can be free of the evil stranglehold in this broken world. God giving us a new home as part of the kingdom of heaven. If you put your, your faith in Jesus, if you follow after Jesus, you belong to him and his kingdom. You too are a foreigner, a refugee living in a foreign land, waiting return home. Listen to how the scriptures describe even the heroes of our faith in Hebrews 11. All these people died still believing that God had promised them what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back, but they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. See, it's this interesting experience when you encounter a relationship with God, when you become a follower of Jesus, you actually begin to discover that there's so much more than what we see in front of us. But we can slip into the trap of believing everything that we see is all there is. We can actually become overwhelmed and looking for all of our hope from our circumstances in this place, when in reality, when we begin to live with an eye towards the future, knowing that this is temporary. All of a sudden, we can live more radically. We can live more sold out. We can live more sacrificial, risk-taking lives. And that's what we see in Jesus. Jesus was not just a metaphorical refugee. He was literally a refugee. The story of Matthew 2. 
Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. Let's do a little Christmas time trivia. I bet, I bet we'll be pretty good at this. What's another word for wise men? Magi. Not the wise guys, right? These are the magi. Another little trivia question. How many of them were there? So the, there's actually a trick question. There are three gifts, but it doesn't actually tell us how many there were. Now, before you throw out your nativity scene, <laughs> it's important to realize who these remarkable people were. These were probably Persians or Indians from India who saw in the sky, they were astrologers coming to find the king of kings. Just another reminder that God entered into humanity to reach all nations, not just as the Messiah for the Jewish people and certainly not just for American Christianity. He came to rescue all of mankind, all of humanity, even attracting people from the very beginning from Persia and from India. And now we live in a world where people are being displaced. And now suddenly, even in the midst of such crisis, amazing things are happening where people find freedom and find faith. Some, even as they come to their new home here. Well, Matthew goes on to explain, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the, first, the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Now, in case you don't know the rest of the story, he was lying. Herod had no intention of worshiping this king. In fact, Herod was known for his brutality. A first century historian wrote, his name is Josephus, Herod was a violent and bold man and very desirous of acting tyrannically, a man of great barbarity towards all men equally and a slave to his passions. Herod, known as an evil genius of the Jews, killed his own children. Paranoid, they would take his place, take his throne. And so the thought of a the king of kings being born was a threat to him. And so he was trying to discover where this baby was so he could have Jesus killed. Now the story continues in Matthew 2, verse 10. So when the Magi saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. 
That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Another thing our nativities get wrong. See, the wise men weren't there the night he was born. They traveled following that star to find this king of kings that had been born. And then something horrible, something tragic happened. It's known historically as the slaughter of the innocents, where this maniacal King Herod declared that any child born under, that's now two years old or under, living in Bethlehem should be killed. See, it's into this broken and messed up world that God came. And the story continues where Jesus becomes a refugee. He flees for his life. His parents take him into Egypt. And if you know the story of the scriptures, you, this might remind you of another story, another moment in history with infanticide, the killing of babies by a tyrannical leader. Moses was born in a similar horrific time. Pharaoh decided to destroy the people of Israel by killing off their children. But Moses was rescued miraculously, even raised by Pharaoh's daughter to grow up to become the deliverer of the people. And in fact, Moses was the one who brought the people the law. And the law showed the people how desperately they needed God. There was absolutely no way to live up to the standard of perfection and so in the Hebrew scriptures, in order to have a relationship with God, it's faith that was credited to them as righteousness. In other words, it was hope in a Messiah who would come and rescue them. And that Messiah is Jesus. See, just like Moses, Jesus was a deliverer who barely survived the infanticide around him. But he was not coming to bring the law, but to fulfill the law and to to demonstrate grace, that's God's love that we do not deserve. See, religion is our attempts to get to God. We sometimes trick ourselves into thinking if we do enough good, we can outweigh the bad. But Jesus says, no, no, it's not about religion. It's about a relationship. You see, Jesus offers us forgiveness. He sets the captives free. He doesn't make bad people good. He makes dead people alive. You see, Jesus came as the deliverer of all humanity, all who would trust in the Messiah who has come and who is coming again to make all things right. I wonder if you've personalized the Christmas story. It's easy to get caught up in the tinsel and the wrapping paper. But have you considered the creator of the universe came to rescue you. Willingly taking on the innocent flesh of a baby in a time where babies were being killed. 
God loves you. Was willing to sacrifice himself for you. The Christmas story is not some fable, some mythology, some way to get us to buy presents to keep our economy going. Christmas is the story of a creator God who so loved his people that he came to rescue us, to show us a way. Have you ever felt lonely? Jesus felt lonely. Have you ever been betrayed? Jesus has been betrayed. Have you ever been tempted? Jesus was tempted, yet knew no sin, lived a perfect life so that he might die on the cross, suffering on behalf of our evil and the evil in this world. But the story doesn't end there. See, when we find forgiveness, when we find new life, then we are sent out to bring this new life and love to those around us. See, the Christmas story is not to just be personalized, but through us extended this love to others around us. What if we lived lives knowing God's love for us is real, allowing that love to bubble up and out of our life into the life of other people? See, the story of Jesus is is a great, remarkable story. And John said it earlier, we genuinely invite you to come with your doubts and with your skepticism. This is truly a place where you can come as you are. But I want to encourage you. Maybe you're here because it's Christmas time and it's time to check in. Or maybe you're here because you have a, a spouse or a loved one who invited you and you're here to support them. And you, you appreciate what we do and what we're talking about. But I want to encourage you, even challenge you to... Allow this story to become real to you. Allow this to become your story. And one of the ways that you can discern if this story is true is is to simply seek out God. The scriptures tell us if you seek God, he will reveal himself to you. See, some of us are here with our skepticism. We just hold on to it. It's become a part of our identity. But what if we were to open our minds and our hearts to the possibility that there is a loving God who wants to reveal himself to you even in this Christmas season. Do you know that Jesus fulfilled 353 prophecies about the Messiah? I mean, so many of them might seem random and almost impossible. I mean, the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. The Messiah was to come out of Egypt. The Messiah was to be from Nazareth. How is all that possible? Those are three different places. Well, when you look at the story of Jesus, and and we have proof that these prophecies were written before Jesus was born. We have carbon dating. Did you know that we have more proof now than our grandparents, our great-grandparents did, that what the scriptures wrote is true? And so these prophecies written hundreds of years before Jesus lived, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He fled to Egypt and came out of Egypt and grew up in Nazareth. All three are true. Now I only have 352 more to share with you. But rather than do that, let me just encourage you to try something. There in the back over by the starting gate, little teardrop banner, we have a little book. It's called the Life Book. It's actually the Gospel of John. 
John was Jesus' best friend. He walked with Jesus. He was an eyewitness to all the miracles and even to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. And he writes this book and even says, I've written this so that you might believe. If you have an open mind, if you have an open heart, I want to encourage you to take one of those books and just begin praying, God, if you're real, show me who you are. And begin to look with eyes of faith. There's this beautiful prayer in the scriptures. This man encounters Jesus. And Jesus says, if you believe, then I will heal your child. And he says, I do believe. And then he admits, help me with my unbelief. I think if we are honest, we need to pray that prayer more often. God, help me with my unbelief. Help me live a life of faith, a life of courage. Live a life remembering that I am alive and no longer enslaved. The scriptures tell us that when we seek God, we will find him. So why does God so identify with the foreigner and the refugee? Not only was Jesus a refugee, but all God did through Christ was for all of humanity. And those who are most vulnerable to evil, those who are refugees, those who are impoverished are uniquely vulnerable to the temptations of this world. And God knows, and so he sends those who've been experiencing God's love to invite them to experience love. See, evil can drive people towards evil, but it can also make us more open to love, more desperate for love. See, we live in a time in history where you and I can be messengers of love. And if we can learn to love those who seem to be outcast and unloved by everybody else, it becomes easier to love everyone in between. See, God makes it clear over and over again in scriptures that he cares for the widow. He cares for the orphan. He cares for the foreigner. We shared some passages last week. Let me share a few more. Leviticus 19. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself. Are we concerned with those who are around us who are suffering? When the church does concern ourselves with the unloved, it's powerful what God can do. Deuteronomy 10, God ensures that orphans and widows receive justice. He shows love to the foreigners living among you and gives them food and clothing so you too must show love to foreigners. If we follow after Jesus, we become his representatives, his ambassadors to the world around us. Psalm 146, the Lord protects the foreigners among us. He cares for the orphans and widows. Or in Ezekiel 22, when the people of Israel had forgotten that they too had been foreigners in a foreign land when God rescued them from Egypt. He rebuked them. Listen to these words. Foreigners are forced to pay for protection. Orphans and widows are wronged and oppressed among you. Even common people oppress the poor, rob the needy, and deprive foreigners of justice. I look for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. I searched for someone to stand in the gap, but I found no one. May that not be true of us. May we be people who stand in the gap. May we be people who God entrust the broken, the hurting. See, I believe that God has given us so much and that to much is given, much is expected. What a gift, what an opportunity, what a privilege we have to be a part of bringing life and freedom to the world around us. And the world is coming to us. 
Now, I know this topic has been politicized. We're not talking about policy. We're talking about loving our neighbor. And sometimes you don't get to choose your neighbor. But in this world, we have an opportunity. In fact, it's really neat. If you haven't heard the story about 10 years ago, we came across a refugee named John Monger. John and his wife Tia had come to faith in Christ in Bhutan. And there they were captured and tortured because of their faith in Christ and they escaped into Nepal. And eventually they were relocated to Austin. Some of you are thinking, oh, perfect. Nepal, Austin, they're a lot alike, right? But they came and it was a struggle and yet with the little they had, they helped others who had even less than them. And someone from Gateway met them and we actually opened up our North Campus so that they could have a Thanksgiving dinner and some of our folks were there. And, and over the next several years, in fact, it's turned into a decade now, what John and Tia Munger were doing among the Bhutanese and Nepalese people here in Austin has grown. In fact, eventually, John has started a church and now there's 300 people, you can see some of them there, that have come to faith in Jesus here in Austin. And if you've ever given even a dime to Gateway, you've been a part of helping John and Tia reach the refugees here in our city. And what's really remarkable is as Gatewayers have helped John, some have even moved in to some of the neighborhoods where some of these folks have moved. Some have even started new initiatives to serve these kids and these families who come here with so little. I'm not sure how you do Christmas at your family, but I have a couple of extended families and, and we, we draw names so we don't have to buy everybody a present, just one person a present. And if you don't bring a present, you don't get a present. See, we're kind of used to this world in which you only buy a present if it, you're going to get one in return. And what we're actually inviting you to be a part of is giving a present and expecting nothing in return. We're already doing this, but we want to do more. And to make it simple, what we're doing is just saying, just give what you normally give. And if some of you sense you're supposed to give even more than you normally do, everything that goes above our normal monthly budget for December will go towards this work here in Austin with refugees, but also what we shared last week with our refugees living in the Middle East. Listen to this verse in Deuteronomy. It says this, every third year you must offer a special tithe of your crops. In this year of the special tithe, you must give your tithes to the Levites, foreigners, orphans, and widows so that they will have enough to eat in your towns. That's what we're doing in this season. Out of gratitude for all that God has given us, we want to give to those who need to know God's love in very acute ways. And so what I want you to do is, I, I want you to take this card that's on your chair. I want you to take it home with you. You can put it on your fridge or put it in your car. Put it somewhere that will remind you to be praying for those who are displaced. But it also goes into great detail on, on the problem and how we're trying to address that problem. But for some of you, it's not just giving financially. Some of you, God is calling to actually serve those who are, who are in need, whether it's serving refugees as part of these two initiatives or serving kids who are in foster care, serving the homeless or, or serving the 200 children that, that come to Gateway South every Sunday. 
I want you to just open your heart and open your mind to consider your next step. 